DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We're going to join now by Craig Bullerjack, TV voice of the Utah Jazz. He joins us on the Sprint special guest line. Sprint makes it safe and easy to get what you need online. Visit Sprint.com for online services and local store availability. Bowler, good morning. Hello, DJ and Mr. PK. Hey. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? I got to be honest. Hearing that was the doors coming back, right? Love me two times. Yes. Yeah, I just, I don't know why that I could just see you with a guitar and just up there trying to do a little rock and roll on that song. I don't know why. It just kind of fits your, it fits you. Did you see uh, Val Kilmer in the movie? Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was good. Yeah, I'm I'm waiting to see whenever they release Top Gun, Toe Maverick, and see what his role is. I I guess he, there was some, you know, that that, that movie kind of intrigued me back in the day. How long, was it 40 years ago, 35 years ago? But now they've been waiting almost two years to release it. So we'll see what happens in the summer if they do bring it out. I like Val Kilmer, by the way, in uh, Tombstone as he, Doc Holliday. He was excellent. It's great, 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 great uh, part for him. I thought it was great. Bowler ESPN ran a list out of the top five NBA players of all time. Jordan, LeBron, Magic, Bill Russell, and Kareem. Any obvious mistakes there? Anybody you'd take out and replace with somebody else? Or is that good enough? Because uh, this discussion is impossible. It is impossible. It is. It is impossible because no matter what generation you grew up in, you're always going to look back and say, hey, what about Jerry West? I mean, he's the logo, right, of the NBA. Um, you know, there, there are just so many great players that have come and changed the way this game is being played or was played and now is played. But that list, I don't have a lot of argument, you know, with um, Wilt, uh, unbelievable. Was Wilt, yeah, Wilt, uh, Kareem? Uh, Wilt, and Wilt, then it was Russell, Russell and Kareem were the bigs, Jordan, LeBron, yeah. and Magic. So well, Wilt, the one you would think is Wilt Chamberlain, who would uh, probably roll over uh, with his name not in it. But again, Kareem has been very vocal in his own way about his um, – the hierarchy of, of his play in this league and, and what it meant, too, for bigs and how it changed. I mean, that's always an argument. Wilt was unbelievable in his genre. genre and uh, now, you know, it, it's, it's, I, I love the discussion, but I don't know if there's really an answer to it, and to the discussion, because everybody has a different opinion on where they grew up and who they saw play, because we get to see so much. In the, in the day, there was... You know, television. Come on, there was there was really nothing except highlights that you would, or unless you went to the to the arena to watch. But man, we get such a heavy dose of LeBron, Michael Jordan, uh, Bird, Magic, Malone, Stockton. Uh, yeah, it's it's tough because I don't think a lot of people were ever given an opportunity to watch them play unless you saw them in action live at the arena. See, I think that if you're going to create a list of the 10 best players, I believe that you could have at least legitimately 15, if not 20 players on that list. If I'm going to have my top 10, and DJ read the top five, and the others, five others that could be in the top 10 that ESPN listed, but Jerry West wasn't on it, 
Dr. J wasn't on it. You take a look the at big that, o. like John Havlicek. I think he gets yeah, a, Oscar Robertson, obviously. Yeah, Havlicek, there was a season he averaged uh, playing like 46 minutes a game. He averaged 28 points and like eight assists and nine boards, something like that. I mean, the, those are phenomenal numbers, on, and, and you're playing all those minutes on a basketball team. And I think you've got to put our guys, the two statues in there. If you're going to list, if you're just going to put as many people as you think are deserving to be on that list, I think the list, if you come up with the top ten, I think the list of players who are deserving is double. Agreed. It'd be 1A, 1, 1A, 2, 2B, you know, that type of thing. Um, you know, look, Stockton and Malone, outside Utah, people will sometimes roll their eyes at us. But you know what? This, the numbers don't lie. Number two all-time leading scorer, two-time MVP. And you've got John Stockton, who, again, continues to be you know, reguiled as, you know, the dirtiest player uh, in the NBA ever, which is amazing after watching the last dance and seeing the physicality of what the Chicago Bulls took from the Detroit Pistons from the bad boys. But all-time leader in assists and steals, two records that I just don't see happening to be to, to happen to be broken. I really don't. Uh, I mean, yeah, I know, the, I know the cliche, records are meant to be broken, but some just stay there. And Stockton's numbers are outrageous. Uh, his productive ability on a given night was just so consistent, PK, that uh, I think people really have to stand back and, and look at Stock and Malone because they were such a great tandem, maybe one of the best. Um, and I know that people argue them, you know, the magic and Stockton debate, but the guy was six one and the guy was 180 pounds, and now he's feared as the most uh, dirty, the dirtiest player in the league, really. Kind of amuses me at times, to be honest. But he just played hard. He had that. Uh, he had that approach, much like Jordan, much like LeBron, of that assassination role, uh, being an assassin of going out and taking no prisoners, and that's what made him great. He didn't care about the cameras. You let Malone do that, as we all know. Malone loved the camera, and Stockton just hid, and he did his thing for years and did it very well. So I'm curious because Stockton did not want to be involved in a puff piece. So that means he needs a chance to say something negative. And I'm thinking, right. what is he going to say about Jordan that is negative? Because if he just wanted to praise him and how difficult he was to play against him, well, then you're getting into puff piece territory. So I'm trying to figure out what it is I should expect out of Stockton on Sunday night. And I'm not clear. Yeah, I'm not either. I mean, you know, when you say puff piece, my first thought was he, he was a definite no. And then he softened on the stance, must have been given some parameters of how far he could go. But then I also thought to myself, Stockton was never really one to give much of an opinion of anything. You know, you remember the interviews. You know, a, a John, uh, what did, yeah, you know, I remember he had a bad elbow one time and he promised he'd talk about it. Uh, to me after the game. And so I said, John, okay, what about the elbow? Oh, it's fine. I'm like, good grief. You know, I mean, that was such a Stockton line. Um, There was nothing wrong. Everything was going to be okay. Uh, He never, you know, ever took a part that I can't remember a teammate. And, you know, had no issue with Larry. You know, they negotiated contracts with pieces of paper right across the desk from each other. That's folklore, but I, I, it's from all indications, I know it's true. 
write a number down, wrote a number, slid it by, Larry wrote one, boom, done. I mean, that's how simple the guy was in, this, in the way of dealing with the media and ownership. So it'll be interesting, man. I, I tell you, these last two hours have got to be focused on, obviously, B. Russ. I don't know if B. Russ is talking about the, the push-off. Um, and Stockton's, Stockton's uh, interview will really intrigue me to see where he's going with it. Do you think Jordan was able to get away f- with the stuff that he got away with in terms of treating his teammates? Because I can make an argument that the gap between the best player on the team and the second best player was for a team that won a title was never greater than what you had between Jordan and the Bulls. You know, this is intriguing, uh, PK, because I've learned a lot. I mean, the insight of, of what he's been able to say, and I just read yesterday or to this morning, Pippen's upset with the portrayal of, of, of himself. But, you know, he brought it on himself by riding the pine in game three um, in the playoff series when Jordan was out playing basketball, and that was his opportunity to be the guy in Chicago, which I think he, he obviously wanted desperately, and the respect and the contracts uh, that would go with a superstar. He was, you know, he was his second-hand man. He was his little buddy, you know, as everybody would say. And, uh, but, you know, as I watch it, Jordan was as aggressive in your face as I, I could imagine. I guess I go back to my uh, attendance at the Hall of Fame induction ceremony and just the brutality at times of his acceptance speech, calling out players, calling out the guy that beat him in ninth grade on the junior varsity roster, and made him stand up in the crowd. I mean, it was it was like what? This ought to be a moment of praise, thanks, and and but it wasn't. It still was like for him some statement he had to make, and I thought it was like way out there. I was really surprised by it, and I think a lot of people were. Um, but you you find him trying, at least in his explanation, is to make everyone around him better. But leadership has two different ways of going about it. You can encourage them. Like Pick, Pippen was shown as putting an arm around a guy saying, hey, man, pick your ass up, let's go. Um, but Jordan would berate you from all indications. I mean, B.J. Armstrong gave, you know, and Will Perdue, Cartwright, those guys, there was always some sort of an issue that was underlying in practice, and he would uh, try to tear you down. But his, his theory was if I tear them down, I build them up and to try to bring them to, to his level. And, PK, your point's well taken. Look, his level was unachievable because he was Jordan, right? So I think there had to be tons of frustration. And you're right, he willed that team to multiple championships. And we saw personally with the Jazz in 97 and 98. It was a Jordan show in the end because he wanted it. And uh, the teammates followed. How do you think the Jazz will be portrayed in this? Because, you know, for Jazz fans, this is just ripping the scab off the wound, yeah, right? And pouring yeah. salt in it. And I've watched how the other four teams have been portrayed, and there's no way other to portray them than, you know, as a team that wasn't good enough and lost to Jordan. Um, I think that probably will be the end game in this story, uh, that they had built together a great team, one of the most dynamic combinations in basketball. Jerry Sloan is the head coach. There has to be some story, too, of Jerry in this because of his relationship once coaching the Bulls and then being a Bull and having his jersey uh, hung in the rafters as the original Bull. So there has to be some storyline there about the toughness of this team and how it reflects in Jerry Sloan's 
personality. And PK, we all respect Jerry Sloan and the toughness he brought to the floor as a player and, and as a coach and the expectations every night. It wasn't about analytics. It wasn't about stats. As he always told us, it's about heart. And I think this team had heart. And I think they'll, I hope they review the controversial calls, the Isley uh, controversy, the push-off. Of course, Jordan came up with a steal. And what was an eight- or nine, ten-point lead evaporated quickly. Uh, Malone's incredible game in Chicago to bring it back to Salt Lake for game six. I hope they look at that as well. I hope they look at this team as a fighting team, as a, as a team that uh, was really near perfection. But again, I think in the end, DJ, as you just said, uh, all the teams have been portrayed as being incredibly talented, but just not able to stop Michael Jordan. And I think the Jazz fans, Jazz fans understand that. Did he get a little help from Dick Bavetta? Uh, I look back at highlights all the time of that game. And you know what? I see what everybody else sees, but someone else saw it the other way. And is that how Jordan rules? Maybe. You know, we have this issue in, our, in, in pro sports today. You know, I mean, it's always the gripe of fans of, you know, special treatment to, to, to all-stars or the superstars, and maybe really no difference than it was in 97 and 98. See, I think the most intriguing aspect here is Jordan, in order to win multiples, so not the first one, but the ones after that, he came up with concocted motivations. The Phoenix Suns, oh, Jerry Krause like Dan Marley, so uh-huh. we're going to get real jacked to play Dan Marley. Dan Marley's a nice player, don't get me wrong, but the fact that you created an animosity with Dan Marley I mean, it's ridiculous. You created an animosity with George Carl because he walked past you in a restaurant. You created an animosity because (laughs) Gary Payton said that he could guard Jordan. So there was all these concocted motivations that he used. Beyond the first one, the first one you want to win, and, you know, it didn't matter who was against. It so happened it was against the Lakers, and, you know, you got it, great. But the subsequent ones, it's like he created – some fake motivation to get himself over the hump. So what's it going to be? Because I think that in order to win that sixth one, and and actually I think that as I'm rambling a little bit, that's where I think Jerry Krause was genius by saying, we're done. We're done with you guys. That created the motivation for the sixth title. I believe the Jazz win the series if Krause says, oh, sure, everyone's going to come back. But the mm-hmm. fact that he said, you're not coming back, that got them so fired up. You, you know what? We're going to go out and show you. And so maybe that was the motivation. It wasn't against anybody for the Jazz, but it was, oh, Jerry, we got to show Jerry Krause. And so by Krause doing that, gave Jordan, he knew how to push Jordan's buttons in a oh, manner that maybe oh, only time. Phil Jackson did. Because I think that helped them get that last that thing because they wanted to prove Krause wrong so bad. That was his motivation. Yeah. No, PK, no argument there. I think Krause throughout this entire docuseries is, is the evil empire when it comes to motivating and, and Jordan being able to say, look, man, I'll do what I want. I mean, the little office that he had privately with his own security guards and, you know, flipping corner quarters uh, to win money, and he wanted to own you. When we'll produce it, why do you want to come up here and play dollar blackjack because I want to own your money? I mean, it was all about finding ways to continue 
to build some sort of competitive nature in him. Was he bored? I kind of sometimes he hinted sometimes that he that he was. What else was there to achieve? And what's amazing to me in this story is after the three titles, his father's death, and then the baseball that he, he, he tried with Chicago, and then to come back and actually three-peat again is beyond imagination of how you could restart the energy and, as you just said, the focus mentally uh, to do it three more times. Uh, that, to me, is, is, I don't know, you talk about, okay, to replicate, I can't imagine. I can't imagine. Uh, has he had an easy life financially? Yes, but I think he's been tortured many, many hours of his day uh, just because of who he is and the way that he, um, he, he approaches life. Um, competitiveness, I think, is, is great, but to what level? But he took it to a level I don't think we've, we've ever seen and maybe we'll never see again. LeBron, people talk about LeBron, but I'd say after watching this again and reliving in my head, covering the Jazz and those two uh, NBA title runs and having a chance to talk to Jordan in those press conferences and in in those corrals and having him look in the eye and just kind of stare through your soul. You could tell he owned a lot of people. He owned the media. He was brilliant with that. And it all comes into play in this equation of his greatness. And I'm like you said, DJ, I'm excited to see how they portray the Jazz and how they portray them as fighters and I would think that they, there ought to be a lot of respect because they fought this team uh, hard. And Malone and Stockton did what they could, and Hornacek and the coaching of Jerry Sloan. And, uh, you know, one of those two title runs, one of, a, one of them should have been in the Jazz back pocket. It just didn't work out, sadly. Bowler, we appreciate the time as always. Thanks for joining us, and we will all watch Sunday night, and then we'll talk about it next week. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Joe's up next, right, Coffee Man? Joe is coming up in a few minutes. Yes, indeed. I'll be listening. I'm going to know if he's going back to practice, what, what his thoughts are. So that's a whole other discussion where we are, I hope. But who knows? The players, by the way, PK, I'm wondering, who, who, who has the last say in this? You think the players will dictate whether or not we, the, uh, the NBA goes or not? Yeah, I think that, that they would have a significant role, certainly. And I guess if you're going to have the last voice, uh, yeah, I can see where you're going. Yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting. be interesting to hear Joe take. All right, guys, I'll roll out. See you next week.